Well, uh, this morning then we're going to conclude the three-part series that we've been looking at entitled God Manifest in the Flesh. We've been looking at what I regard as something very awesome, breathtaking, the incarnation, the wonder of the fact that the Son of God entered into our humanity in its fullness. And uh, we've been looking at how that has impacted us in three stages of our redemption. First of all, our justification. Jesus had to become a man. He had to. If he was going to redeem mankind, he had to become one of us, identify with us totally and die in our place. So that was necessary for our justification. But also we saw the last time I shared how that relates to our sanctification. You know, Jesus is the son of God, co-equal, co-eternal with the father. Yet on earth, he lived as a man. He lived under all the restrictions and the limitations that you and I are subjected to. And he showed us how to live as humans the divine life, how to experience God's life manifesting through us. And uh, he said, I can do nothing of myself. But he taught us how to, as he abided in his father's love, so we abide in him. That's the way to live this, this life. And we, we experience God living through us, the wonder of the Christian life. So many people have got that wrong and they try to, you know, do their best for God and marry themselves to law and rules and regulations and try to make it all work out. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is, you know, great is the mystery of godliness. God manifests in the flesh. Now, this morning we're going to look at the last part of that, which is the uh, incarnation and our glorification. And I've called this restoring the crown. Now, one of the things that amazes me is that um, some people never ask the most important question you could possibly ask. What am I here for? What, what is the purpose of my life? Now, I can understand a non-Christian not asking that question because if you believe in evolution, then everything's a big accident. There's, there's no purpose. There's no rhyme or reason. We're just here by accident. So you've just got to make the best of it you can. Just make, make up your own goals and, uh, you know, your own purpose in life. But as Christians, we ought to ask the question, why are we here? What is the purpose of our life? And what we're going to do this morning is uh, look at a passage in Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to look at most of that chapter, starting at verse 5, to basically explore that question. Now, just give you a word before we get there. And that's this, that this, the, the writer to Hebrews actually quotes in this chapter from Psalm 8. You know that psalm that says, what is man that you are mindful of him? And, and he explores the meaning of the, the life of humanity. And, and so what the writer of the Hebrews does in quoting that is he goes back to Genesis and looks at the beginning, why God created us, how he created us, what went wrong, and what Jesus, through the incarnation, has done to take us to the glorious goal that God had for us from the beginning. God is not mocked. God is not shortchanged. God doesn't have to 
you know, kind of uh, devise another plan for us, another purpose for us. He's got us back on track. And we're going to look at that uh, in this passage in Hebrews chapter 2. Now, he says, For he has not put the world to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man? that you are mindful of him, or the son of man, that you take care of him. You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honour and set him over the works of your hands. You put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that, okay, that's the end of the quote from Psalm 8, okay, and then the writer of the Hebrews says, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. That's us. Everything God put under us. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. We know it all went wrong. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, the incarnation, for the suffering of death, now crowned with glory and honour that he by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Now let's have a look at that. When God created mankind, he crowned him with glory and honour. What does that mean? Well, glory is a reference to the moral image of God. Amen? We were created in the image of God. You know, the, the Bible says all of sin comes short of the glory. That's what sin did. It, it took that glory of God away from us, took us out of the glory of God, took God out of us. Uh, God vacated the soul and the lights went out and uh, it's all dark now, okay? But God created us in his glory, in his image. Quite interesting when you think about it, every other thing that God created had a prototype. Everything was made after its kind. But we were created in the image of God with a human spirit. None of the rest of creation have a, human, a spirit. We do because God said, that's for me. That's for me to come and live inside with you, fellowship with you and live through you so that we might enjoy the God kind of life. Amen. But he also created us with honour. Now, what, is, what was the honour? He gave us an honour above all the rest of creation, and that is that we should have dominion over the earth. As it says, you know, I think he said about three times, you know, he put everything under us, and there's nothing that was not put under us. Everything, everything. God said, you have authority over everything on the earth. Everything was put under us. So God's purpose in this was to glorify himself in the righteous rule of humanity over creation. The rest of God's creation was to look at mankind ruling and reigning and shining forth the glory of God so that God will be glorified, that the moral image of God will be on display. Amen? And... Uh, that's why he created us, you know, so that, so that everyone could look at us, or every being, created being, could look at us and interact with us and see the love of God, experience the goodness of God, the kindness of God, experience peace 
and harmony amongst all of creation, experience justice on the earth. That's why God created us, that we should be the pinnacle of his creation, heading this whole thing up and ensuring that it happened. But it all went wrong. Adam lost the crown. The crown of glory and honor was lost. The moral image of God was destroyed, as I said. God vacated the soul, the lights went out, and the rulership of earth was forfeited, handed over to Satan. When man listened to him and turned his back on God, gave his allegiance to Satan, actually gave rulership of this world to him. The result is that this present world is now ruled by angels. Now, you notice that with that passage started off. Did you notice that? It says, he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. God never gave this earth to be governed by angels. But you know what? It's angels that rule it now. Fallen angels. Fallen angels. You know, we, we know that Satan was an angel, the angel Lucifer. And the demons were all angels. They're, they're the devil's angels now, okay? So the chief of these angels that rule this planet is Satan. He's called the God of this world. Paul called him that. The prince of this world. Jesus called him the ruler of this world. Okay? But God never gave this planet to angels. That's a result of the fall. And now, even though, thank God, we are not under his dominion. Amen? We, as Christians, are not under Satan's dominion. Praise God. But yet, we, they, they, they are our enemies. They oppose us. They attack us. They want to, uh, you know, do, to cause as much devastation in our lives as they can. Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities. Against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So that's who's now currently ruling this planet. All right? God never intended this world to be ruled by angels, but by humans. It's ours. He gave it to us. And he's bringing it back on track. We don't see all things put under us, but we see Jesus. We see Jesus. We see the incarnation. We see God manifest in the flesh to bring it back to what God intended for it. As Adam brought ruin through disobedience, so Jesus restores all through obedience as a man. As a man. Now, we who are saved have a foretaste now again of glory and honour. Amen. The, cr the crown has, you could say, partially, not fully, but partially been restored to us. It's only a, we actually only have a deposit, a, a down payment of what's ahead of us, the glory that is waiting for us. But we do have a foretaste. We, we, you know, the, the glory has come back. Jesus has come to live inside us. Uh, God, God's nature now dwells in us and, and is evidenced through us. Praise God. And, and we are being changed from glory to glory. That's sanctification. We have been changed more and more into the image of Jesus. That's glory. And, and Christ living in us is the hope of glory. The hope that we shall ultimately be restored to what Adam had and even beyond. Praise God. 
Look at what Paul says here, just in this one reference. And if children, children of God, that is heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Notice that. See, God is going to bring all this thing back to the original glory and beyond. When he glorifies his son, he intends to glorify us with Jesus. Please see the connection because you cannot separate them. When God lifts up his son over all the earth, he's going to glorify us as well. If indeed we suffer with him that we may be glorified together, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But also the honour. We have a foretaste of the honour of reigning. Thank God Satan does not reign over us. We've been delivered out of his kingdom and brought into the kingdom of the light of God. And the Bible says now that we reign in this life through the grace of God. Amen. And, and, and uh, we know that we still um, have to walk in that victory. And in doing so, we're actually training for reigning in the kingdom to come. Amen. Okay, let's move on in Hebrews chapter 2. It says, for it was fitting for him. It was appropriate for him. It was necessary for him. For whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. It was fitting. Okay, let's look at that. All that happened in the incarnation and the atonement that we might be crowned with glory and honour again was fitting for the moral character of God and the need of mankind. Okay, in other words, what I'm saying is there was no other way that God could restore everything except that the Son of God become a man and do it all. Succeed where Adam failed as a man. Jesus brings many sons to glory. Some people think when, when you read glory that that's heaven. It's not heaven. It's glorification. The final stage of our salvation. Justified, sanctified, glorified. Delivered from the power, the uh, the penalty, the power, and then the presence of sin with a glorified body like unto his glorious body. That's where it's all leading. So he has become now our merciful and faithful high priest to ensure that the work is completed. Do you remember I said the, the, the wonder that this thing amazes me is that when Jesus added humanity to his deity in the person of Jesus, when he returned to heaven, he didn't shed his humanity. He, be, he, 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 is, uh, he, he has that or possesses that human nature for eternity. He's the God-man for eternity because he's always and will always be our mediator between us and God. He has become our merciful and faithful high priest to ensure the work is completed. No angel could do, have done this. Even God, apart from the incarnation, could not have done this. Now, I just want to just uh, mention the transfiguration. You know the transfiguration of Jesus when he went up into the mountain uh, with Peter, James and John. And the Bible says that Moses appeared and Elijah appeared to them. 
And then Jesus was transfigured. Now, what that means, and the Bible explains it, is that all of a sudden he shone with this brilliant light. This brilliant light. His face shone like the sun. In other words, they could not look into the brightness of this glory. And, and, and the word transfigured, it's not that God did something to Jesus. See, this is the point. The glory was always there, but it was veiled by his flesh. It was always there. The glory that he had with the Father, it was always there, but his humanity veiled that. And God allowed this glory to shine through. So much so that the Bible says even his clothes were so white that no launderer on earth could make them that white. No washing powder could, could make it that white. It was just absolute. They were looking at this sheer light and brilliance. That's the transfiguration. Do you remember Jesus prayed at the end of his ministry? He said, Father, give me the glory that I had with you before the creation of the world. But he also prayed this. He said, Father, I pray that those that you've given to me will be with me, that they might behold my glory, and that they also might share in that glory. You read it in, in John chapter 17. You see, this, this glory, this is, what, this is what we have within us. All of sin come short of the glory of God, but that glory has been restored because Christ is living in us, right? But we, we do not see the fullness of what we have. But when we get to heaven, as it says there, Jesus said, Matthew 13, verse 43, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. What the disciples saw on the mount, that's what others will see in the kingdom in the age to come. The glory of God shining through us in all its brilliance. I, I find that amazing. You know, if you don't fully understand it, I, I think there will be degrees like Paul says one, shine, one star difference from another in glory. But every believer will manifest the glory of God in the kingdom to come. 1 John 3 verse 2. This is how John put it. Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. How is he? Well, John was taken up to glory when he had the revelation. At least he, he in a vision, he saw it. Now this is what we read, okay? This is what we read. In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, that's Jesus, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet 
were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And listen to this. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. He said, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. See, when he rose from the dead, that was, that was the resurrection body, but that was not the ascension glory. Because no human being could look upon the glory of God and live. And when John saw it, he just collapsed in a heap. The Bible says that Jesus stretched forth his hand and touched him so that he was able to, to bear that experience. So I say to you, what we have is only a small part, a down payment, a deposit, is how the Bible describes it, of the glory that is to be revealed in us. Praise God. Let's move on. And this is how we understand, again, the importance of the incarnation. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. This is our union with Jesus. Just as we were one with Adam and shared his sin, everything that came to us came as a result of our union with Adam, so we are one with Christ and we share his righteousness. We've got a new identity, as Paul puts it this way. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You are all one in Christ Jesus. This incredible spiritual union with Christ incarnate, fully God, fully man, and we are one with him. Let's move on. For which reason? I love this. He is not ashamed to call them, that's us, brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus never called his disciples, brethren, until after the resurrection. Because after the resurrection, he was the firstborn of the new creation. Amen? And, and, and we are his brethren by, by being born again. He calls us brethren because God now calls us sons. He does not call everyone brethren, only those whom he is sanctifying. Now, it says here, he's not ashamed to call us brethren. I want you to think for a moment of the most embarrassing thing you can think of in your Christian life. Your most embarrassing failure, which you've possibly not told anyone of. You're so ashamed of it. In a moment, we might share those things. and we No, 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 no. Come back, come back. Just think about it. I mean, there's some things that you think, I, I could never tell anyone that. When you did that, when you fell or failed at that time, he was not ashamed to call you his brother. Wow. Isn't that amazing? He said, they've stumbled, they've fallen, but 
I have come in the flesh to get this dear one back on track and to bring them not only through sanctification but to glorification to present us faultless before the Father in all the glory of our salvation. Hallelujah. He goes on to say, Inasmuch then as the children, it's us, have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, the incarnation. Let's look at how that happened. Note how we become his brethren. It says that we partook of flesh and blood. That's the word koinonia. It means simply that, um, uh, you know, we, uh, we'll read that in just a moment. We'll look at this other word which relates to Jesus. He shared in the same. We partook of humanity. He shared meteko in flesh and blood. It means he took hold of something which was not naturally his because he was divine. He added to his person not only the divine nature but the human nature. He took hold of it. The difference is here. We came out of humanity. He came into it. Amen. We came from Adam, we came from the original pair, where it's the human race. Everyone came from Adam, we came out of humanity. He came into it. He took hold of something that was not his for the purpose of redeeming us and taking us to glory. He eternally existed as the Son of God, but added humanity to his person. If he was born of a man like us, if he came out of humanity... He would have had his beginning at birth, okay? His very beginning. He would not have pre-existed as the Son of God. But already existing, he entered into humanity through the virgin birth. And in doing so, he also came in the likeness of sinful flesh without sin. So he could enter into the fullness of humanity with all its restrictions and limitations so that he could be tempted and tried in every point like you and I experience humanity in its totality yet with that one exception he never sinned. Amen. That through death which was the ultimate purpose he was born to die to accomplish this purpose for which he came which was to bring us back to God's purpose for us that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death that is the devil and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage now when we started in verse 9 of chapter 2 we read that he tasted death notice that he tasted, he was not detained by death. He tasted it and then he defeated it by his resurrection. He came into it and then went out of it having defeated it. Peter puts it like this on the day of Pentecost. Whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So through his death he brought to naught him that had the power of death and then released from bondage those who were in fear of death. That's why Paul says triumphantly, O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? 
The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he set us free from the law. He set us free from sin. So there's no fear of death. Death is the result of sin. So in order to defeat death, uh, both he had to identify with both. And in removing the sting of death, death itself is overcome. Some of you may remember, I, I shared the story in uh, that little booklet, Are You Sure? Of a man who was driving along with his daughter in the car and a bee flew into the open window. You remember that story? And, and the, the girl was allergic to bee stings and if she got stung by the bee, she could die. And she screamed, went into a panic, but the father just reached out and grabbed the bee like that. And then after a while, he let it go. And so she went into a panic again. He said, it's okay. He's lost its sting. The sting went into the, the father. He had no more sting. He couldn't harm her. And so Jesus has removed the sting of death because he took away sin. And he delivered us from the law so there's no possibility of sin for the believer he tasted it for everyone that is in their place so that they may not be held by it for the unbeliever death is an awful thing but we us who are being sanctified are delivered from the fear of death because he fulfilled the law died for our sin and rose again. Amen. You know, death is an awful thing. It's an awful thing. But he's delivered us from the fear of death. Let's be realistic without being morbid. Let's be realistic. It's possible some here today may die this year. If not this year, next year, sometime. It's a reality. It's going to come to all of us. But we have nothing to fear. In fact, Jesus has turned death from a negative to a positive. It's a positive. We might die, but death has been turned to our advantage. Paul says, um, to die is gain. <laughs> Why? Because this very thing that I'm speaking about, this glorification, being released from this body of sin and death and taken into the very presence of Jesus, being glorified in his presence becomes a reality. In fact, Paul says, I, I've got a desire to depart and to be with Christ. But for you, he says, it's your fault I'm here. I blame you, he says, because it's for your advantage that I'm here. His work, his work wasn't done. He had a ministry to fulfill. We've all got a work to do. That's why we're here. Amen? So, we, you know, wherever we are, to, to, what Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Amen? There's no fear in death. He's destroyed it. Hallelujah. The grave could not hold him and it will not hold us. Praise God. Why the doctrine of the resurrection is so important. Okay, let's move on. We're getting uh, close to the end of this chapter. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels. This is interesting. But he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. That's us. 
The term translated give aid literally means to take hold of. He does not take hold of angels for the purpose of helping them, but he does take hold, seize, catch us for that purpose. Now, here's another thing that amazes me, and don't ask me why, because the Bible doesn't reveal why. The devil and his angels fell before mankind, and God has no plan of redemption for the fallen angels. There's no gospel for the angels that fell. Amen? There is no angel in heaven singing, I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. Not one. God has no gospel for the fallen angel. I don't know why. Maybe you'll, you'll ask God when you get there, amongst the many other questions you have. But he has a gospel for us. And he says to us, when we fall, I, you know, I mentioned just recently, just a few minutes ago, about our worst moment when we've maybe stooped to the lowest. The Bible says he gave aid to us. It means he took hold of us. He said, I've got you. When you or I fall, we might think, that's it, it's, it's you know, I, I've blown my chance, it's all over. No, he says, I've got you. And he says, I've come to get you back on track to make sure you finish the course of, and end up glorified, coming into the glory that God has for you. You know, Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, whom he justified, these he also glorified. Past tense. Like in the mind of God, he already sees you and I there in heaven. And there's no sanctification in between there because some people think if you don't get sanctified enough, you're not going to make it. And I think that's why Paul deliberately lift out sanctification in that. Those he, was it, those he uh, chose, uh, predestined, these he also called. Those he called, these he also justified. Those he justified, these he also glorified. Wow. Verse 17. Therefore in all things, see now we come back again to the incarnation because he's the one that's responsible for our justification, our sanctification and our glorification. Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. The great purpose in Christ being manifest in the flesh was to reconcile us to God by making propitiation for us. He could not redeem what he did not become. He became one of us. As our high priest, he is now the one who represents us and that is why we are secure. That's why we're back on track and we will realize the purpose for which we were created. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he's able to aid those who are tempted. As high priest, he not only purges our sin, but he also helps those who are being tempted. He had to enter into our world in order to sympathize with us. We all know this passage is a beautiful passage in a couple of chapters later in Hebrews. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize 
with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Hallelujah. Jesus, who became a man, a human, at Bethlehem, has carried that humanity to the cross where he died as a man for humanity and now ascends into heaven with a glorified body but a body like ours so that he can sympathetically as a high priest minister grace to us in our time of need and bring us all the way to the very fulfillment of our salvation. Last verse God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not just the hope of heaven. It's the hope of seeing God in all his glory and being like him. Hallelujah. Those he justified, these he also glorified. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for your precious word. And Lord, we thank you for the riches of your grace. We thank you for this great treasure that we find in your word that is constantly being unpacked, as it were, unwrapped, so that we might behold the, the greatness and the depth of your love and your grace to us in Jesus. And Father, I pray that as we journey on in this world, and we are only pilgrims, Lord, we don't belong here under the rulership of this present regime. We've been delivered from it, Lord, and we're journeying towards this wonderful climax of our salvation, our glorification. I pray, Lord God, that we will never, ever lose sight of it. Lord, as the Apostle Paul says, the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared with the glory which is ours in Christ Jesus. We thank you for these things, Lord, in his wonderful name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Amen.